Hello, and welcome to Invisible Not Broken, the Chronic Illness Podcast Network. I'm Jason Herderick, one of your new co-hosts. The new Invisible Not Broken podcast features roundtable discussions and candid conversations between the hosts of all of the podcasts within our network. There's Monica, host of Explicitly Sick, Dr. Lee, host of Sex and Chronic Illness, Eva, host of Human Care Podcast, and myself, host of Discomfort Zone. You can find all of our shows on your favorite podcast player or on invisiblenotbroken.com. Our roundtable episodes can be any combo of hosts. Today, the four of us discuss the different coping mechanisms we're using to maintain our mental health during the time of COVID. We were not recording, so everything I said was totally off the record. That's awesome. I'm a big (laughs) fan of being off the record. (laughs) (laughs) So we have the round table of Eva from Human Care, Jason from Discomfort Zone, uh, Dr. Phillips from Chronic Illness and Sex. Yes. Yeah, sex. It's a nice, easy one for me to remember. Chronic illness and sex. Sexy chronic illness. Yeah. (laughs) I'm in for that. Sexy spoons. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm on new medication, so this is going to be fun. Uh, I'm Monica Michelle with Explicitly Sick, and we are talking about emotional and mental survival of COVID. Is that right? Or am I totally off base and I researched the wrong stuff, which has happened? No, sounds like a good topic to me. Yeah. topic. Ah, uh, for once. Well, I'm on top. Wait, we should stop the world for a minute. Okay. So I was just mentioning that I had been watching the TED Talk of Elizabeth Gilbert um, that was recorded back in April, um, at the beginning of all this uh, uh, challenge, um, about how she, um, her advice on surviving all this. And it was, um, I think it's about the third time I've watched it, but it's a really good TED Talk on anxiety and grief and being alone and intuition and pacing yourself yeah like she was like this is definitely a um this is definitely a uh not a sprint a marathon so like all the people who are like rushing like i'm gonna start my first business i'm gonna build the app i'm gonna learn a language i'm gonna get a degree i'm going to write the great american novel it's like you've got to pace and to add anxiety on top of an anxious situation can be traumatic. It is traumatic. I think what's happened has been very traumatic. You know, a lot of people feel like, you know, there was just a big pause button that was pressed and then it shook everything up. And, you know, there's been a lot of anxiety and there's been like an increase definitely in depression. Um, The one thing that's come out of it is that some people are really thinking about what they want to do when there is some normalcy again. Like some people are thinking about their goals and, you know, which is nice. And, you know, being a psychotherapist, holding a safe space for people to process their feelings about COVID and what happens. So it's definitely been a very interesting time, that's for sure, in the mental health world with all of this. For mental health, I think one of the things that a lot of people are having trouble with is how much news is too much news and how much news is staying informed and what are we actually responsible for? Yeah, and I think at first, all of us were a little too engulfed in the news. I can't speak for the whole world, but I feel like that was a natural inclination was like, well, what the fuck is happening? And it's just, it was so depressing on a daily basis. 
Uh, I was also with my parents at the time. I happened to be in New York City, basically at ground zero of America and the coronavirus in March 2020. And so when I was with them, my dad is a fan of CNN. He tends to have it on in the background a lot. And it, actually in this time, it was like on the big screen in our living room with breaking news all the time. It was very frustrating. At the same time, I wanted to be informed about what was going on, but it was definitely like, okay, the apocalypse is being broadcasted on the news. <laughs> this is what it felt like, at least. Especially yeah. New York. Like, you know. Yeah, that was no joke. It was pretty scary. Uh, I was actually talking about this the other day uh, with my husband because we were both in New York at the time. Actually, we were there because he had a he's a doctor and he had a rotation at um, uh, Columbia Presbyterian on the Upper West Side, which ended up being one of the big hotspots for, actually, I mean, all the hospitals in New York City were, I guess. Uh, but his rotation ended early, <laughs> naturally. Uh, and Right, so we were there March 11th, it was declared a pandemic. And I think this was March 9th, we went to a bar in Brooklyn and everyone was aware of what was going on. And so we're all sitting at these like little date sized tables somewhat near each other, like, I don't know, two feet away from one another. And you could see everyone's looking around like with a little sketched out face. And like, and you could feel it in the room that there was this building fear that something isn't right, like what's gonna happen next? And that was the last time I was in a bar, right? Um, last time I hope most people were in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. <laughs> That's not the case I know in most of America, but. <laughs> At that time, just the fear, yeah. Yeah, maybe we should make it clear if, you didn't already, Monica, that it is September 15th. Oh, yeah, um, we are now on September 15th of 2020. And I think all of our adrenal glands are shot to hell. <laughs> yeah, it was really wild during those very uh, first few days, because there's also all this uncertainty, like you don't know how long is this going to go on for. So everything gets shut down. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to adjust to this and stay home for, you know, a month or two or whatever. Um, and then all of a sudden there's this realization like, no, this is going to go on for significantly longer. Um, and I remember that was like a big, like, wow, sort of moment. We had plane tickets for uh, March 11th. We were supposed to be in England. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Right. And right. so we had to make choices like with very little information because like all through February, we're like, I don't panic easily. Like it takes, it takes a fever from one of my kids, a call in the middle of the day with one of my kids. That's where my panic is. Like, otherwise I stay pretty like, okay, let's just see what happens. And there wasn't good information on like, took us two days before we we're supposed to fly out before we we're like, you know what? Probably not a good plan. You made the right choice. <laughs> we definitely did. Yes. Yes. Uh, the places we were supposed to go were definite hotspots too. And it just, it felt irresponsible. Like that was just kind of where I, I can always be counted on to be responsible on like other people's health. And it just felt like if there's a pandemic, we would just be adding extra bodies to an area that we were not supposed to be responsible to like i don't know how to say that right but like it just felt wrong to not be a citizen of that area and travel to that area and then be extra bodies that they have to deal with or worry about like that 
that just felt irresponsible to me. So I, I'm easily guilted and we stayed home, but it was a weird time. So Dr. Phelps, how do you, how are you recommending people process news right now? Like, do you have any? Oh, well, I've been saying, telling people to stay the, the hell away from it. It's <laughs> <laughs> because they are getting super anxious. But, you know, like what Eva was just saying, wanted to be well informed. Like, you want to know what's going on. And so one of the things that I recommend to my clients is just take breaks from it. Take breaks, disengage. If there's something that you can do right now, just to soothe yourself. Because I think a lot of people in therapy, when this happened, it's like their coping skills were taken away from them in a lot of ways. And so everyone's having to learn how to cope again. And so people are trying to get out in nature when they can, go for a walk if they can, do some mindfulness meditation, connect with your loved ones through Zoom or something, you know, just to stay connected to people. But it's been very difficult. And it's been really hard for people who are single who live alone, who don't have families, who can't go, who don't want to, who want to be responsible and not be around their families. I know I haven't seen my parents since last December and they live three hours away from me. And my husband and I won't even go down there because I'm just scared. You know, you can have this virus and not know it. My dad is in his seventies. You know, I just, it's very scary. So people are having to be away from people. And then you hear about, um, you know, people who are around family and they're taking a risk and they're wanting to do that. But I don't know, it's just very scary. So the news is something, you know, and, I, and I'm a little guilty of that because on a Saturday morning when I'm not working, <laughs> I have an Apple TV and I'll turn on the CNN. I'll, I'll do clips from it from YouTube just because I want to know what's going on. But it can really make you angry. I mean, it can really trigger anxiety. Um, and a lot of other feelings. So yes, taking a break from the news and going out in nature. That's my recommendation, <laughs> if you can do that. That's a, that's a really great one. Um, some, so something that's been a struggle for me is I always have turned to social media as a way of connecting with the rest of the chronic illness community. Um, and in many ways, I found that to be very beneficial, um, you know, when I'm not feeling well enough to actually go out and actually see people. But now it's like, I find myself, I'll be on Twitter and I'll be, you know, reading through different tweets and tweeting back at people. Then I hit the search button and next thing you know, I'm going down this like absolute rabbit hole and like 20 minutes later, I finally realized what I've been caught in. So yeah, that I found so tough. It's like, you got to catch yourself early. Otherwise you're, you're just going, you're going down that rabbit hole all the way to the end. And it's hard I don't to know how not to do that. It's, it's yeah. really hard. It's so hard to catch it. A lot of times you're not going to, I'm really big in acceptance work in my therapy. You know, I'm really, I work from like a cognitive behavioral therapy model where we look at thought processes and try to switch the way we think. But I'm also really big into acceptance work. Like if you fall down the rabbit hole, hey, you fall down the rabbit hole, eat a carrot with a rabbit and then climb the hell out of it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, love I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, if you sometimes we go down it. We all do. We get anxious. We get nervous. We catastrophize, right? We kind of go down the what if, oh, what if this and what if that. And I think when COVID started, there was a lot of what if, you know. Yeah, and that's so true. the The idea that adding shame onto it like adding shame onto something like that doesn't help at all. It doesn't deter you from 
doing that in the future. At least it doesn't for me at all. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, we have to, and shame is hard. Shame is one of those emotions that really does cover you from head to toe. And it's one of the ones that I find it's very difficult to shake it off, you know, but I think if you can find ways, and, and I will tell you the one great way of, of talking about, of feeling shame is, is talking about it. Being in a place, yeah, where you can, you have a voice to talk about shame. And I have so many clients who are chronically ill that, that have it, you know, um, shame about my body, shame that I can't be present with my partner all the time, shame that I can't do the things that I used to be able um, to do. And so I think with COVID, there's a grieving process that's going on. It's called anticipatory grief. I think we're grieving what we miss. I know there are certain things that I miss doing that I, I can't go out and do. I'm sure you guys have some of that too, or you've heard people. I mean, we're we're chronically ill, so we kind of live that one. Like 24 <laughs> fucking seven, we live that. You live it 24 seven. And now I read an article where people who are not chronically ill are understanding what chronically ill people go through. Yeah. I've heard that from a number of people. Just first, the quarantining for sure, like just not being able to go out or having to stay home. Uh, introverts are loving the lack of needing a, um, a a reason, right? Or like an excuse to stay home. Uh, but then also just feeling uneasy about our health, right? Like, so the average person is concerned to different levels about whether or not they're able to contract or, or like likely to get the virus or the symptoms from the virus and then spread it on to others. That's not something, chronic illness is not something we're worried about spreading to others, but generally that the burden of concern of health. That's not what most people, um, I would at least say our ages, generally speaking, <laughs> worry about, right? It's and, an interesting time for compassion, though. Like, it was what, like, the, I'm going to harp on Elizabeth Gilbert because I was just listening to it this morning, but um, she was talking about how, like, this is, <laughs> this is such a moment for compassion because as we understand isolation, we understand that some of us can't handle it or don't like it. This is a good time to think about others who are isolated, maybe reforming those systems that cause that isolation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've definitely not taken for granted my lack of isolation, like having someone I live with. Uh, I think I was thankful for that on a daily basis during like the serious quarantine, like the, I don't know, what was it? Three months that we could barely leave. Uh, and also, as you said, being compassionate towards those who are isolated. And there's various forms of isolation, isolation, right? There's like physically being isolated from other humans and then just feeling isolated. So there are people I'm sure who have roommates or live with people, but they mm -hmm. still have this sense of like, I'm alone and, and on my own in this situation. It's very true. There are a lot of people, you know, I have several clients who have roommates and they still feel alone because they're away from people or they're, or a roommate will leave to go out of town and come back and will have to quarantine themselves in a room for two weeks. Yeah. You know, mm. it makes it very difficult, you know, just with relationships right now in general. Um, and quarantining your family too. We had to quarantine my son when he came home from from his uh, work with the CCC. How, how did that 
like how did you guys quarantine him in the same house not easily <laughs> but he's a he's a really great kid and he understands the seriousness of this so i'm really lucky i have friends who have teenagers who the teenagers aren't as concerned about this or the parents aren't concerned about this or the grandparents aren't like there's there's family members in the family that aren't as concerned about this or have different beliefs about science that are not necessarily based in science or reason and that's way harder than what i'm dealing with i everyone in my life it knows i'm immune compromised and they're so careful my kids are really careful about who they interact with um and we have very strict rules about who they can see we have our little germ pods that we we are a part of and thankfully they understand I'm sick and that they can't break those rules, but it's still scary. And I'm still not sure if we should be, if we're not being paranoid enough. That's always, that's a fear I talk about with a, a number of my friends because I have a number of friends that have anxiety, uh, which, you know, during this time, everyone has some level of anxiety. <laughs> so it's, I think everyone has anxiety in general, really. <laughs> I actually agree yeah. with that. It yeah. just comes out at different times and varying yeah. levels of degree. Yeah. Like, I didn't think I had anxiety at all because I used to be a very impulsive person and just, I don't know, excited by things. But there are absolutely situations where I have pretty high anxiety. Anyway, uh, that aside, when it comes to gauging how serious this is and like if we're taking enough precautions, I feel like in some ways that it's never enough because technically we don't know the extent to which this impacts us and like what... Um, and how we can spread. I mean, we have pretty good ideas about how it spread. But for instance, I wore, I, I got to say, I was lucky I got an N95 mask when I was traveling recently. And I posted on Facebook like about all these precautions I took. And I wanted to play devil's advocate. And I said, maybe this was overcautious. I don't know. Um, or maybe this wasn't enough. I don't know. But I took the precautions that I found to be the best of my ability at this time. And I, you know, while some of you may not care, I try to not offend people when I can, but, I, but when it came to the whole mask. I feel like that was thing, rather pointed. <laughs> <laughs> that tone was pointed. Sorry. No, but the truth is I will be frank about it. When it comes to the mask wearing stuff, I'm like, screw you guys for not wearing it because it's inconvenient. Sure. Like I don't, maybe, maybe at times it's like unnecessary. I don't know. But the, the fact is inconvenience versus not killing people essentially indirectly, um, I think it's a pretty easy decision. It is. It is. <laughs> I think that's yeah. like, it's not like these people who don't want to wear masks or at least the majority, and if they do, this is ridiculous. People don't think that the, wearing the mask is going to hurt you is like a bad thing to do. It's just inconvenient. We're against our rights. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? If we don't know for sure, nobody knows for sure what's actually possible, like the extent to which things are possible, then wear a mask for a precaution. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I know it's... Mad at this no, I mean, it makes, no, it makes me mad too, especially as a sex therapist too, because you've got people who are horny and that get aroused and they want to go out and they want to play and... I'm like, wait a minute, you have to think about this because they're droplets. And, you know, and I'm, I'm telling my clients, look, if you want to go out and have sex, wear a mask when you do it. But you shouldn't be doing it. I'm like, you should not be doing this, but 
people are going to choose what they want to do. And I think that's still what's so scary about it is that, you know, this virus, it manifests in so many different ways. And that's the big mystery of it. You know, someone has this type of symptom and it's different from Joe Schmo over here. You know, um, it doesn't affect everyone the same way. And, you know, and as a relationship and sex therapist, just really trying to talk, hold space for my clients and try to help them get creative with their sexuality too. Like when they are lonely or there are other things that you can engage in. You know, I have to say during COVID, erotic literature has really come back. Which and is probably uh, cyber sex or whatever. Phone sex. <laughs> Phone sex. The things Zoom, Zoom has seen. Sex, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Zoom, yeah, Zoom has been traumatized, man. <laughs> A sneak peek into this week's episode of the Human Care Podcast. Yeah, chronic illness or just hitting rock bottom in general, because we all hit rock bottom in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I don't think there's a better teacher than that. Absolutely. And, and at the end of the day, it's actually your yourself is the teacher. The experience is the catalyst, but you end up being your teacher, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. I, you know, I think you can have a lot of the same experiences with chronic illness, but slowly your reactions to them may change over time. Once you kind of, you know, you're going to learn from each one. You're going to take something different from each one and you're going to slowly compile your toolkit and your belief system and that confidence in yourself and all of that. And, you know, really, like you said, learn, learn from it and take away those big lessons at the end of the day. To listen to the full episode, type human care into your iTunes, Spotify, Google play, or any other podcast player. Don't forget to subscribe. You can also find episodes from other podcasts in the Invisible Not Broken Network, like Discomfort Zone and Explicitly Sick, by visiting invisiblenotbroken.com. So how do you get some, like, alone space? Like, how are y'all finding, like, I think all of us are, are sheltering in place with people. I've got two teenagers and a farm and a husband. How are y'all finding, like, alone? I mean, like, we're, we're dealing with the opposite of the people who are alone. How are you finding how are you finding isolation during isolation? So for me, um, my health has actually improved throughout COVID, which has been kind of a very nice, unexpected um, thing to, to come about. So in terms of that, um, that's been helpful because I've been healthy enough to go and walk around outside. So spending time in nature has been one of the, the hugest things for me. Um, and also social distance get togethers. Like, again, I'm privileged to have, you know, be, be at my parents' place. We've got a pretty big uh, um, outdoors and I've actually been playing lots of like social distance board games with friends where I will move all the pieces. They'll be a good 10 feet away from me and I'll just be moving around the pieces on the board. Um, so yeah, lots of social distance get togethers like that, going for social distance walks. Um, and then, yeah, trying to get into a bit of a routine with mindfulness, which for me, it's been, it, it goes great for like a week or two. And then you hit that wall of like ins pain insomnia, um, where that just derails it. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah, it, it's tough, you know, but I like that you're, you're doing the social distancing thing that I would have to say that's, that's 
what I'm doing. There's like two friends that I may see, you know, but it's apart from them. And then of course, just spending quality time at home and like what you were saying, Jason, I've just been getting out in nature if I can, just going for walks, um, getting out as much as possible because, you know, our, for me working from home and doing telehealth, you know, my, my home has become my office. So it's like super important to like take a break from that and unplug and go for walks. <laughs> yeah, you I need to change. I, I definitely. A, sorry, go ahead. A change in scenery, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's been the, the, the great thing is just being able to get out and unplug. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, for me, at least in Rochester, New York, like taking walks has always been fine. We'd, we're not like populated en enough uh, on the roads where like it, I don't know, it was a problem. So I think taking walks are like 50% of why I'm mentally okay, I swear. Uh, I took, I've taken a walk essentially every day since I came back here from New York City, uh, with the exception of maybe maybe seven days. Uh, which is why the fact that it's September, it's already cold. I put my heat on today for the first time. Like winter's coming. No reference to. <laughs> we are not discussing that last season. I will not. Discuss that last season. <laughs> mm -hmm. but, Did not happen. But yeah, with uh, like winter here, it can last like eight, nine months. Seriously, I mean, Jason's yeah. living in Toronto, so he understands, <laughs> right? Uh, Monica's in. California and Dr. Lee's in um, DC area. So anyway, <laughs> I'm really dreading COVID during the winter, really dreading it. And it's not that I can't yeah. take walks, but it's obviously less enjoyable and treacherous for someone with EDS. That's the first time live I am saying that I have EDS, by the way, because new diagnosis. Welcome Zibber, zebra. <laughs> zebra, yay. Okay. Anyway, I digress. Um, but yeah, so walks have been a major contributor to my positive mental health during this. And I'm, I'm very disappointed that we haven't really budged on improvement of COVID in the US. And I don't know about Canada, but we're here. cases are rising right now in Ontario, where I am, they've jumped up a lot, like from 100 cases a day to 300 in Ontario, like in the last week, so. Oh, damn. I gotta say though, for a, bit, a populated city, am I wrong in saying that that's actually pretty good? Oh, that's also for all of Ontario, like the entire province I'm in. So yeah, that's it amazing. has been really what? good. Yeah, no, that's I not even like be, covering my I know. city. Like, I should not be complaining at all here. No, no I mean, I wish there were none, but I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, but that's nothing, good. like, holy. I just wanted to like add something in because I'm like the person who can't go for walks and you guys all mentioned that the way you were able to get your isolation was walks and so just for anyone who's like stuck in wheelchair stuck in bed like you're basically saying my life right behind me this is like what I see 90% of my world um these if you can um I know it's like super privileged but noise canceling headphones is like the only way I've survived COVID because I have children and dogs and other people. And like the one way that I can do that is I put these in and everyone's supposed to know in my house that if these are in, I am to be left alone. It does not always happen that way, but at least it's like a signal. So if you are in a situation where you're home with others and you can't leave the physical space, if you have anything that's a signal to others that you are to be left alone, I find that really helpful. But holy cow, that's like the lowest number I've heard. Like 
Yeah, yeah. We've like had even for the United States, leadership. small states. Yeah, wow. It's almost like if you have like socialized medicine and um, universal like income coming in during COVID that people stay home and don't infect others. Yeah, yeah. And there's been a lot of public messaging around that. They've put a lot of effort into doing that right. And yeah, I guess it's also people in general here for whatever reason have just been responding that you do see masks in most places. Like you see more people like everywhere inside people have to wear them everywhere. But um, even when you go out for walks, lots of people are wearing them. So it's a positive sign for sure. It's a positive sign. It's always nice. I know in DC there's a mandate like you can get fined if you don't have your mask on. But most everyone here is definitely wearing their masks. Um, the numbers here in DC, they really just go up and down. They're like up and down, up and down. We did hit a, uh, there was a peak. I think like last weekend it went, we were seeing like 40 cases, 60 cases, and now it jumped to like 100 um, a while back. So, and then there were the protests here. So that really necessary for the protests, of course, but I think that caused, you know, just a, you know, like heightened numbers to go up too. That's but. so strange. Cause like over here we had the protests, but everyone was wearing masks during the protests and our numbers didn't really change for those protests. The numbers changed drastically for the protests against masks. And that's when we jumped. But for the Black Lives Matter protests, we didn't have a huge increase because almost everyone there was wearing like it was a huge massed event. Yeah, like when I went to the Bay Area. Mm. I know. Yeah, Bay Area. Yeah. We're, we're pretty, well, it depends on where in the Bay Area you are, but it's, yeah, we were just over in the bougie part of the Bay Area, um, over on the peninsula near like Silicon Valley. There were so few masks. It was like, I had to be there for a doctor's appointment. I'm like, I, I don't, I, get me out of here. I was so mad watching people just walk around. Yeah, well, when I went out on 16th Street, because I don't live far from the White House, you know, the protests that I saw, everybody had masks on, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting how that happened, you know, but, oh, and then the holidays, too, people leaving and then coming back mm -hmm. into the city, you know, I know that they've got these mandates now where if you travel in certain areas, you have to quarantine, but that didn't go into effect until recently with D.C., so, yeah, so... It's, it's up and down here, so. Well, Labor Day was only a week ago, and so I'm wondering. Yeah. I'm anxiously wondering what the numbers are going to jump to in like another week from now, what reports are going to show, and if there was a big escalation in cases around the U.S. due to likely parties that, you know, occurred on that day. There's also like quite a few weddings around this time of year as well. And I know some of them have still been going on, like not all of them have been canceled. And yeah, certainly I know there's been a few cases in Toronto where you've had some super spreading events because of that. Like like big weddings, like normal size weddings? Well, not, not, I wouldn't say quite that, but there's been uh, weddings where people, you've had 25 infections from the same wedding, like all of a sudden crap. pop up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then they infect everyone else. It's, yeah. Yeah. How are you guys handling like the stress of the people in your house? Are you, how are you like managing to hold your own feelings when you're living with other people? So yeah, for, for me, um, yeah, I live with my parents and so we see a lot of each other. Um, and yeah, in the early days it was especially hard. Um, but yeah, over time, I don't know, we found some different activities. Like I'm playing lots and lots of, uh, board games with my mom so we'll just 
like every night is a board game night and we have like a running tally over the entire like six months um so that's been you know i don't know oh, which ones which talk. board games oh well honestly it started off as cribbage and backgammon do you guys know ah, that, I love that backgammon backgammon's oh, yeah. my favorite Oh yeah, we've played like 600 matches since the beginning of the pandemic. It's nonstop and there's a lot of trash talk going back and forth. Um, I've got the upper hand right now, so hopefully that lasts. But yeah, that's, I don't know, that's been a nice way to like make things a little more fun. So I live with my husband and we live in a tiny apartment in DC and we've made the best out of it. And speaking of board games, we started doing the same thing. I started playing Clue again. I love Clue. Love Clue. And I have the retro version, the 80s version. How do you play it with two Okay, now stop people? saying retro and 80s in the same sentence. My, my feelings cannot handle that today, please. The retro version. Um, please. You said, wait, are you supposed to play with more than two? You're supposed yeah, to play with like up to- You should have at least six people, like four people yeah. minimum for that game. How do you play? It's either one of, I guess one of you has to be wait, the murderer, how do I, right? How do I do? No. I'm, I'm very confused, but I'm here for it. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what we did. It's I yeah. I think we played. I played two characters, and he played two characters. Oh well, that's, oh, that's an interesting cool. way to no, do that's it. That's awesome. That that is a good life hack for. And for then this. Game of Thrones Monopoly. Oh my god! <laughs> of course, I had to be the queen. Um, Which one? <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a, choices. <laughs> It's a queen crown. It's you're these oh, little yeah. symbols. So I was a I was a crown. So um, it was fun. I hadn't played Monopoly in years. I used to love board games. So I don't know. Some people are getting back into things that they. What are you doing down there? Um, so, some things that. Sorry, my knee, my knees are hurting, so I'm just oh. changing where I'm sitting. Like um, I have a bouncy ball too. Oh, people are just like getting back into things they haven't done in a long time. So it's pretty cool with board games, you know. I I, I realized how much I missed them. They're fun. They are fun. I'm surprised actually that we haven't engaged in board games. I brought it up several times. Uh, I guess we haven't been a board game couple, but I still want to change that. We're both into them. I don't know. You know, just you got to break the ice, right? Yeah. <laughs> Got to take a take a stab at it. Uh, for us, I got to say, like, for the majority of COVID, my husband and I have done maybe better than we ever have. We we've high fived a few times on being like growing as a couple during this, so that's been good. Clearly, we married the right people, but there have been times where it's gotten a little heated. Uh, I can't, I don't really know if those are related to COVID though. It could be, you know, when you spend a lot of time with someone, things just happen. Uh, but yeah, it's hard to know. I will say this, when I've gone away, cause I've left a couple times, uh, once I had to go on this, uh, I went on the, the flights, which I posted about with all my precautions cause I had to go do that. Um, and another time I actually drove to DC for something. When I came back, that was difficult for us because we were so used to being together all the time that when we had separated, because it was about a week at a, around a week at a time, uh, he, I would honestly say he more than me had to learn how to be around someone again because he had been alone. And then it was like, oh, there's this other person now in my space. I just got used to no one being around. 
uh, and I don't mind saying this on the air, but he's like, you're kind of annoying. <laughs> and then he's like, he didn't realize he had to be annoyed by anyone. And then he's like, no, I love you. And I, I just, I clearly accept all these things about you, generally speaking, but when they were out of my world for a little while, I was like, oh, oh, right. <laughs> You know what? You bring up a <laughs> not to take it personally. You bring up a really good point because that's what's happening with couples. I've noticed that couples are like become very close during this time, which is great. They're being very proactive. They're evolving together, and then some are just in survival mode. But couples that weren't doing well prior to COVID, they're re- some of them are really struggling. But I know I, two that have divorced. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, but I think, thankfully, you know, as a relationship therapist, I've seen couples really grow. And then it's been nice to have them come in, come into therapy to help with that, you know, just to adjust. But yeah, it's really interesting how relationships are kind of playing out during this time too. What what sort of advice would you have for a couple that was, say, doing okay prior to COVID and then COVID happens and all of a sudden, they're struggling a lot. Like what, what type of advice would you have for them? Well, I think coming into a safe, I call, I call therapy the safe container. So coming into the safe container, which is my screen now, not my office, um, is really nice for them just to be able to have a place to share, but also just to be able to talk about their true feelings. I think vulnerability really does lead, lead to a lot of empowerment. So being able to come in and be vulnerable and share your feelings. I have couples do a check-in with each other where it's not just a conversation. It's like a dialogue they have with each other. And they talk about their strengths, their individual strengths, and the strengths they're bringing into their partnership. Then they talk about their needs. What is it that they need from each other right now? Because a lot of times I find that people, they think that their partner should know what they want, but they don't know that all the time. Your partner's not a mind reader. So you want to be able to share that. And then they talk about their differences. And so I have them do that in the session. And then I give them homework to do that outside of the session. And they find it really helpful. And then just to do things outside together if they can or things inside. Um, When I'm working with a couple where one client is chronically ill, really trying to adjust to those needs. And if they can't, you know, if they can't go outside, getting creative inside. Um, Because you bring up a good that's a good point too, because a lot of times, you know, people, they're so independent, even as a couple, they go to work, they come home at the end of the day. Now you've got couples working in the home together and it can, it can be stressful. You're not getting a lot of space from each other. So I can see where there can be conflict. It's either one way or the other. It's like conflict rises or we find that they're doing very well and they've made improvements during COVID or they've grown together. When I think about couples that uh, yeah, aren't doing well, I think there's also degrees of not doing well. So for th- those who have broken up that I know, it's like COVID brought to light some really foundational issues that they didn't realize they had. And yeah. then there's just like, I'm adjusting to you being in my face all the time. I think those are very different things, right? <laughs> there's, um, there's just like, I this is too much. I need my space or even it could be. And I don't think this should be taken too personally, as long as there's not foundational issues, but I need space from you in particular, not just being alone. Um, but it's like, I love you. You're wonderful, but sometimes it's a bit much. Um, 
like I'm sure my husband would say if he hasn't said that he would say that but we're actually very good at giving each other space I also admit that we live in a house not a big house small house but um I have my office here and he uses the dining room as his office and it even has a door so we are privileged in that way that we literally are able to have separate spaces and we work during the day and therefore we're not in each other's face literally all the time. Uh, but if he said, I, I do think he has said this, uh, like I need some time, even though I'm not working, like without you, I'm like, all right, I feel you on that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm secure in how you feel about me. And maybe that's another part of it during this time is, Maybe you need to state it a little bit more. What, what are your thoughts on that? Like stating how you feel because you, your behavior might be a bit different. No, I think it's great that you bring that up. That's one of the things that I try to recommend to couples is really state your feelings. And that's why I like having them do the check-ins with each other. Because here's the thing, if you're talking about it throughout the week, how you're feeling, when there is a problem, it may not be that big because you've been processing it already. But if you're not checking in with each other and you're holding that energy in, I always call it a rupture then there's a mm. rupture and it's like the tea kettle on the stove and it bursts. We call that flooding in therapy. So you get flooded. So being able just to have a space where you can talk. I like that you brought up foundational things because I always love it when I have people come into therapy when they first start dating each other. Cause it's like, oh man, you're laying out your foundational shit. This is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I always like that. That doesn't always happen, but when they do come into therapy, then sometimes we just have to go back to the foundation too you know yeah. um, when people come in when things are good like you know, I, i'm very yeah. pro therapy and i kind of think everyone should go regardless of the situation that's my personal opinion right yeah yeah you know it's funny sometimes i'll have a couple come in and they'll come in with their big problem right and they'll throw that out in the energy of the space you know, and then I'm like, well, what made you fall in love with each other? And they'll look at me like I've, I've got three heads because they really want to talk about the problem. And so what I try to do sometimes is shut that down and go, well, what are the strengths? Why are you together? Because I like to focus on strengths, not so much the problem all the time. We know that there's an issue. That's why you're here. But let's talk about some of the good things that are happening. A sneak peek into episode six of Discomfort Zone podcast. While health authorities everywhere are encouraging social distancing, Melissa and her home care worker are too close for comfort. There are moments where, you know, we kind of take a pause and talk about how it's affecting each other only once in a while because it's affecting us. While coping with her own fears, she spent all day on the phone supporting others. They were scared and needed someone to talk to because they didn't know what to do. Melissa is optimistic on what the world will look like post-pandemic. A lot of people have been told that they can't be hired at a place because we can't accommodate you working from home. Suddenly, when it's everybody's need and it's not just the need of disability community, um, the business world has found a way to accommodate the need to work from home. To listen to the full episode, type Discomfort Zone into Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any other podcast player. Don't forget to subscribe. You can also find episodes from other podcasts in the Invisible Not Broken Network, like Explicitly Sick and the Human Care Podcast by visiting invisiblenotbroken.com. Do people use COVID as an excuse? A lot of, well, I, 
I want to say an excuse like it's not legitimate, it's happening. But uh, do you think COVID has been the quote unquote problem? Uh, um, I think COVID has added to it. I think there were problems prior and COVID has been like a trigger for something, you know? Um, people will come in and blame it on COVID, but I don't think necessarily it's always COVID. I think there's an un underlying issue that, that's been there for a while. You know, now, when I have people that come in individually that are really hidden a lot of depression and anxiety from COVID, it can definitely be due to COVID because they're alone. You know, they don't have anybody else. And now they've had to stay in their place and not go anywhere. And it's been very difficult for them. Um, yeah. Um, sorry, I, I'm totally curious and switching gears a little bit, but uh, I wanted to talk about mental health around big events in regards to COVID, like um, milestones, birthdays actually are a really good example. So um, I turned 30 this year and I had like a big plan for my 30th birthday. I was, I had this whole party set up. Um, my birthday was uh, in April and yeah, I'm reflecting on my experience with my birthday and a lack of celebration, I guess you could say. And I want to know what you, if, what you guys have experienced, whether it be birthdays, um, other events, or even you've witnessed other people's big moments and how they've had to switch their approach. Yeah. My anniversary was yesterday. Yeah. The anniversary. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Thank you. 14 years of that poor man surviving me. Yes. <laughs> but um, we're, we're not party people. We, we actually have a rule in our marriage that there's no gifts for anything. It just makes us so much happier and less stressed. Um, but we usually used to go to a town and like explore it and can't do that to the, now so what we ended sorry have an escaped chicken that is like wreaking havoc on a garden it's very very certain that we're vegetarians and we're not yeah, I would um, like i'm not threatening my chicken i swear please don't write me angry emails i'm just mean um so what we ended up doing is we got in the car we have a sunroof we just played music and we live in the bay area which means that we could go right over to the mere woods and like all the the beautiful trees and we just sort of drove around and had music going and just talked and we just kind of like our, our little like pod date and then we stopped by our favorite this chicken is so bad um we stopped by our favorite grocery store and we bought our favorite meal and he made food for us and then we watched succession or yeah succession we watched we've been um like obsessing on that so that was our our big thing in birthdays, we just sort of, um, both my kids had birthdays, my husband and I both had birthdays during the, the thing, and we just made cakes for each other and hung out for my daughter's big birthday. We had a Zoom meeting with grandparents, which is probably the most awkward hour of my life with a whole bunch of like adults trying to figure out how to do Zoom that have never done Zoom. It was truly painful for everyone involved, but that, that's, that's my little story. I'm gonna go um, talk to a chicken. I'll be right back. <laughs> So, yeah, you really got to the, oh, go on, Jason. Yeah, well, um, yesterday as well was kind of a big day as well for, for me. Um, my niece was actually just born yesterday, my sister's oh, first wow. kid. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah she, she doesn't have a name yet, but it's really exciting. Um, I've that's seen her. Yeah, yeah, that's the third, that's um, the third kid that I'm an uncle to. So really exciting. Um, She's all the way over on Vancouver Island, so complete opposite side of the country. Um, and I had initially like planned earlier in the year that I was gonna come for the beginning of October. I could help her out with the baby and 
bond with the baby as well myself. Um, I absolutely love kids as well. Like for me, that is a huge coping thing for me. Anytime like I'm feeling down, I go over to my brother's place, 10 minute drive away, have some baby time. And immediately I come back and I'm just a totally different person. I'm so much nicer, so much calmer, so much happier. Um, so yeah, I was really, really looking forward to going out there. Um, but that's not going to happen right now. Um, and might not happen for quite a few months. So yeah, there's that, there's a little bit of a worry, like I'm not going to develop a connection with the baby, um, as early on as I would have liked to. I'm sure I'm going to have a zoom meeting with, uh, my sister and her, and her baby and all that, um, as the first meeting it's, it's strange, but yeah, strange times. Um, yeah, that's my little story. And the nice tip that came from that is uh, coping via being with other people's babies. Maybe not your own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh no, the second the second my uh, my uh, nephew and niece poop, I'm just like, here you go, all yours. If it's screaming, screaming, crying, I'm like, no, I'm the I'm the fun person. I get to be the fun uncle. I don't I don't deal with that stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> nice though it's nice that you get to go do that that's great yeah so that's great um my birthday is monday oh happy almost birthday happy almost birthday so i don't know what i'm going to do i'm probably not going to really do much because we don't want to you know go anywhere so i'm probably just gonna wait so this is your 31st birthday 30th birthday i'm gonna be 42 but i forgot we're oh. the same age <laughs> Oh, wait, and Jason and I are the same age. So look at yeah. that. Aww. <laughs> Little youngins over there. My God. So I know. Fresh face they, and shiny. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm obsessed with my neighbor's golden retriever um, because I don't have a dog. I, we want dogs and we can't get them right now because they're too small. But we're moving to the suburbs in about two or three years, which I'm so excited about because I want a yard and I want trees and I need nature. I, and I, I never thought I would say that because I'm such a city person. But I'm ready to to be in the trees, and you know, um, so yeah, you know, she has her dogs sometimes come out, and I get to social distance and play with the golden retriever. Her name is Goldie, and now she's gotten to the point where she comes over to my door and scratches it because she thinks she wants to see me. Yeah, so animals, you know, babies, animals. I think pets are great right now. A lot of people have gotten you know animals during this time too. So oh yeah. Yeah, yeah all the shelters are empty now. Yeah. So. My friend has been trying to get uh, an animal from like a shelter for nine months and she just got her puppy this week. She yeah. keeps sending me videos all the time. And I, I don't mind at all because I don't have a dog <laughs> and so, or a baby. So bring on the puppy videos and it's so cute. You were I'm like pet sitting one time though, Eva. You were pet sitting a dog one time. It was a I was a golden retriever named Bear, who I love. <laughs> and we were talking about him yesterday. We actually offered our friends who own Bear uh, to walk him. Like, we want to take on that chore just because we want to be around him. I always knew I was a dog person, and I, we would get a dog one day. But I won't lie, there was a hidden agenda in dog sitting. I wanted to convince my husband that we needed a dog, and I succeeded. <laughs> oh, it still might take like a year to actually get one because we might be moving, but possible golden in our future. Yeah, see, I would just like text my husband, if you are not going to divorce me, we're going to have this animal. And then I would like 
put my phone in my purse and turn it off. And that's how we ended up with like about 80% of our animals is he couldn't reach me to tell me not to adopt them. That's amazing. So Glenda, that's how Glenda the pug. Uh, Glenda the pug. Oh my God, that dog. I love her so much. Um, no, she was my, my son's, uh, that was my son's campaign for about a year and a half was he wanted a pug more than anything. And he'd had a really rough year and a half. So we got him up. I think the dogs start at about hip height. That's a dog. Everything else is a very beefed up hamster. And I was not, I, I like my dog's dog size and I'm in love with that pug. I, she's my world and she's actually way more mine than anyone else's. But yeah, that's how we end up Thunder. With kids, dogs end up becoming the parents' dogs. I mean, yeah, the wolf is bonded. He won't listen to anyone else. Like he, he will just look at whoever's ordering him around and look to me to see if he's supposed to do it or not. My parents have King Charles Cavalier Spaniels. So no, are you serious? They're the cutest things. Aren't they? Oh so my God. I want a Blemin so bad. Like that's my one, like, I want a small dog. I want a Blemin. Aren't they so cute? They're the, and they're sweet. They're so sweet and stupid are? and lovely and sweet. Like dogs should not be that smart. It's not good. <laughs> I can't wait to get them. Yeah, we want all four of them, all four different kinds. So that's why I need a big yard so they can yes. do their thing, right? So Yeah, our yard's not big enough. We were told that our dog was only going to be about 50 pounds. He ended up being over 100. And yeah, we, we ended up not enough space. And it's really heartbreaking. So, so we're getting close to the end. And I want to check in with everyone about like, what's your like one survival mechanism that you want to give to everyone? Like, what's the one thing that's actually working for you? Uh, so thinking about a hack that I, uh, I guess everyone could take on in their own way is having a routine and making that routine part of or making your environment part of that routine. So even if you live in like a studio apartment and you don't really have a lot of places to be, it's still technically a room with different functionalities and you can make certain parts of that room a space in which you do or uh, spend mental time thinking about uh, a certain thing. So if so, let's just say if it's a house or a room, whatever your space may be, um, be like, this is where I do a little exercise. This is where I um, decide to meditate or do deep breathing or just like be in a bubble. Uh, this is where I want to cook. This is my like food space. I don't know, but like having routines that go along with different aspects of your environment, because then it doesn't, for me at least, it hasn't really felt like I'm trapped. Mm -hmm. I am not a homebody at all. And we have like slightly less limitations now in Rochester, New York, where I could go out more. And I'm actually fine being in my house all day. I mean, I would like a walk, but like, I don't need to, I definitely don't need to go anywhere else. And that is shocking to me. And my hack really has been that I created uh, an entertaining space, a space where I like I feel safe, but also like there are variations. So I would agree with that. I think having a routine, that's been something that I've had to do. And I think creating your space to make it your space. You know, I, I'm an extrovert. I mean, I love to go out and talk to people and I am fine being at home now too. And I never thought I would feel that way, you know? 
So I think having a structured routine for yourself is great because I find that with anxiety that can sell. Like having a day where you do mindfulness, having a day where you Zoom with your family, or I think the structure and the routine can be super helpful, you know, because when you don't have structure, sometimes you're, you're all over the place and that creates the heightened anxiety piece that comes in. And we all have anxiety. It's how we manage it. It's how we, you got to build a relationship with your anxiety. Oh, I like that statement. And I, mm. and I would say to do that, build a relationship with your anxiety, you know, and, and do what works for you and what brings you comfort. So um, I would say my sort of life hack, um, I was chatting briefly about how playing with my niece and nephew has been so beneficial for me anytime I've been feeling down. But I think just anything in general that puts you in the moment, you know, whether that's playing with kids, um, writing, painting, any sort of creative project, podcasting, anything like that, where you just take a piece of time out of your day, where it's not about doing things and accomplishing things, where it's simply just being present, something that includes improvisation, um, where you can get into a creative flow and you come out and you feel more at ease. Excellent advice. Thank you. <laughs> um, for uh, over here, some of the things that have worked really well for us is uh, signaling that someone's busy. Um, we're a huge household and there's a lot of different physical needs and wants and emotional and mental health issues going on in the house. Um, one of the other things is uh, realistic but kind of funny goals. So like I'm doing Duolingo in French and I have no illusions that I'm going to be fluent. Uh, it's just, will I be better than I was when I started this? That's the only thing. So all the skill stuff that I'm trying to do, I'm trying not to put like a ton of pressure on myself. Like I'm going to be the next, you know, so-and-so. It's just, I'm going to be better than I was before. So Duolingo is free and Libby is free here in the United States. I don't know if anyone else has it outside of it, but it's a library system where you can check out any audiobook any ebook for free that's been life-saving at two o'clock in the morning with an anxiety attack that I can just grab a book and read it on my phone. Um, that's been everything. And um, oh, uh, the, if you have the funds for it, Masterclass has been sanity saving for my husband and I. Love it. Um, love it. Yeah. yeah. So we're doing, I'm doing the RuPaul authenticity one because I did that one. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we've been, I uh, did Penn and Teller with my daughter and then my husband and I for like, is we we're having trouble finding something for us to do. That's just not watching TV. We were starting to like lose connection because we didn't have like a common thing. We weren't going out. We didn't have like our, we didn't have our pacifiers for how we reconnect as a couple. So we started taking Neil Gaiman's storytelling masterclass together. And then we start writing together. We start talking about writing. We now have like a new interest to do together. And there's a whole bunch of different interests there. There's like a lot of music, there's acting, like as a writer, I actually take the acting classes just so that I can see how character development works. Um, but that's just my, if you have the funds for it, I think it's $180 for a year. Um, and I'm taking the dog training class too. So that dog is going to get trained. He will learn how to go Ooh, get my wheelchair for me. That is my, <laughs> that is my goal. <laughs> dog will learn how to get my wheelchair. Um, so that's just my, my overarching like thing that works. And Skillshare is another one that we use. My daughter and I use Skillshare a lot for art because she's um, doing homeschool and Skillshare was $90 a year and it has a whole bunch of digital art classes. So those are, those are my survival is realistic goals and, and some cool programs. I'm going to take on some of those. Ah, well, I will, I will put those in the show notes. It's amazing. Masterclass is so good. I did recall. I love it. 
and I did Bobby Brown's makeup class. It was so ah, much fun. Yeah, I did that one. <laughs> Obviously, right? Because I totally have makeup on. It was more for theory. <laughs> they're, they're really great. They've, they've been great. And for like the attention span that I have, which is a gnat with ADHD, um, it's great because it's only five to like 20 minute classes. So it, it makes it doable. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we are way past an hour now, um, but I am so glad you guys all joined. Um, if you are listening to this, please head on over. I know we had like a huge upheaval and we haven't posted on this channel for a while. But this channel will now be for roundtables, so things like this where all the podcast hosts get together in different groups, or sometimes all of us, um, to talk about an issue. So that's what Invisible Not Broken will be. I'm Monica Michelle with Explicitly Sick, so if you're interested in what I do, you're going to need to go and find the Explicitly Sick channel and subscribe to it. Uh, Eva does human care, same thing. Jason does discomfort zone, and Dr. Phillips is new with us with chronic illness and sex. And um, I'll just close out with my be kind, be gentle. It's never been more important to be a badass in whatever way and vote, especially if you're here in the U.S., make sure you are set up. Um, if you are disabled, make sure that you have your mail-in ballot. Um, but it's never been more important to make sure that you are looking out for yourself and others. Amen. Thanks for listening to another Roundtable episode of Invisible Not Broken part of the Invisible Not Broken podcast network. If you haven't already, please take the next 30 seconds to do these three things. Hit our subscribe button. You can leave feedback with a rating and review. And share this episode with a loved one. Don't forget to check out our official Invisible Not Broken network Facebook group. Please join us in our community conversations where you can ask questions, connect with fellow Invisible Illness peers, and make suggestions for the podcast. And that's all for today. Be kind, be gentle, and in whatever way you can, be a badass.